You're listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. You're about to hear a conversation from sales leaders and industry experts about what it takes to translate sales knowledge into sales performance, how to change the sales conversation by putting the focus on building relationships and adding value, removing the blockers that keep salespeople from reaching their potential, creating an inspiring learning environment and coaching culture, and ultimately increasing sales achievement and improving customer loyalty. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. How do sports and sales parallel each other when it comes to things like negative self-talk, mindset, and establishing belief boundaries? And what does it take in sales to go from player to coach? That's the focus of this episode of Mental Selling, your favorite sales podcast. Thank you for joining us today from wherever and whenever you might be listening. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions. And I'm excited for my guest today, who is my colleague, Jim Ryan. Jim is a former professional athlete and coach who's helped countless people in both sports and business to discover and reach their full potential. And Jim brings a really unique and qualified perspective to our focus today, as he played 10 years in the National Football League for the Denver Broncos, including on two Super Bowl teams, and then later went on into coaching for almost a decade. He then got into sales roles himself, And now Jim is a certified and highly sought after sales training facilitator, executive coach, and keynote speaker. Jim, I've wanted to have you on the podcast as a guest for a while now. Thank you so much for taking time to be with the audience today. Well, I'm really happy to be here. I have wanted to be on the podcast for a while. So it's about time we got together and I'm really excited to do this as well. Always fun to work, as you mentioned, with a colleague, a well-respected colleague like yourself. So yeah, fire away. Let's see what we can come up with today. Great. So let's start with the obvious, like we talked about at the at the beginning. There's a lot of parallels between sports and sales in general, aren't there? Let's let's just talk about that at a high level. I think there's a lot of parallels between sports and, and a lot of different business entities or, or business jobs, processes, things like that, but especially sales. I, I really do believe that it is. In sports, I used to, I remember telling this to Mike yesterday, our CEO. I said, I like facilitating because it's very much like sports, but it's very much like sales too. You do some preparation, right? You prepare for a sales call, you prepare for a game, and then you have game day, or it might be a sales call. And in sales, you might have a couple of games per day, you know, that type of thing. But in the process of that, you've done preparation, you've developed a plan. Maybe you've had to adjust a game plan in the middle of a game or in the middle of a call. You're prepared, you adjust, you have a plan, and you've practiced how you're going to execute the call or how you're going to execute in the game. You've practiced a process. You've developed a work ethic. You've practiced fundamentals. I think there's fundamentals in sports. There's a lot of fundamentals in sales, too, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But in addition to that, well, I think in, in sports and in sales, Sports maybe kind of teaches you a little bit about sales, and that is focus, right? The concentration that it takes, that you have to be fully engaged in what you're doing at that moment. You have to be fully present when you are playing professional football, college football, whatever it is, 
or other sports. Anybody listening to this podcast that has played an individual sport or a team sport understands this, right? The focus, the the attention to detail, to be fully engaged and present at the moment. Nothing required that concentration level more than playing football, you know, more than playing a sport for me. But like I say, it's probably a lot of sports too. I was in New York a few weeks ago, right when Aaron Judge was trying to get his 61st and then 62nd home run. For those listening might know, he was the New York Yankees player that was going to break the American League record for home runs and that. And I was watching him at bat. They had the game on. And I just looked at his eyes and I thought, he's thinking of nothing else right now about, you know, other than seeing that ball come out of the pitcher's hand, that concentration, that focus, that all in mentality. I think that is something that serves you so well in sports, but I think it serves you well in just about anything you do. And especially in sales, right? You want to be fully engaged with your client or potential client. You want to be fully present. You want to be customer focused. You have to have product knowledge. You have to study. You have to be prepared. So that's a long answer to a short question, but I really think there is a lot of things that the, that sports teach us about sales and that parallel each other. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's why you see a lot of people that get into business and, and get into sales later in life that People that are successful in those roles, they leverage a lot of what they learned. It might be youth sports or high school or college, but there's a lot of lessons there. And I think another thing that you said that really stuck with me is you have to have that that discipline and that process and the practice and go in fully prepared, but at the same time, also have that agility, right, to adapt in the moment to what might be unscripted or the, or the unexpected. That's That's part of it too. And that's part of the mindset. And that's where confidence plays in, right? That you have the confidence that you can adapt when something unforeseen comes up. In a game, anybody who's played a game knows that um, things go differently than what you plan, right? It maybe plays out a little differently than you imagine it in your head. So you have to adapt, right? Oh, this team is, you know, that we thought they were going to run these certain plays, but they're running a different play or whatever it is. So you have to adapt on the fly. Well, sales is the same way. I've been in many sales calls where I go, okay, this is not what I thought this, you know, this conversation was going to be about, but let's run with this because this is important to this customer or this potential client. So, so yeah, that adaptation that you have to have on the fly is really important. Again, you know, you learn it other places as well. One other thing I would say too is when you look at sales, there are quite a few companies out there. I've run into them in the med device industry and things like that, that are very interested in hiring athletes because of some of the things we're talking about right now, right? They like to have people who have been in the trenches in sports because there are so many things you learn from it. But you have to take those things. You have to say, oh, okay, I learned this. This is, you know, now I, I realize what a work ethic really is or what preparation really can do to my performance and things like that. And you have to learn and apply them when you go into another field as well that direct link between preparedness and confidence. I mean, I, I know in my career personally, every time I've had to give a presentation or, or anything like that, the more prepared that I know I am, the more confident and less nervous I am. It's only at those times when you really know you haven't adequately prepared that you really <laughs> get unsure of yourself, get nervous. And, this, and again, the same thing applies in sports, right? You know whether you did or didn't prepare adequately for the situation that you're entering into. It's really funny. Think about, Will, when you were in school, high school or college, right? And you were going into an exam that you really studied hard for and you were prepared. You were confident. You were like, yeah, I'm going to ace this. But if you went in, you go, yeah, I didn't study last night. I'm not really prepared for this. Your confidence level is, is way down. It's no different. 
And that preparation piece is, is, is so important. As a matter of fact, I tell people when I'm training in sales too, I say, I think the outcome of your sales call is going to be directly related to the preparation you put into it. Preparation is, is just so important. And, and if we're going to just talk a little bit about that preparation piece in sports, there's a lot of quotes around that uh, sometimes we use some of them like, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, something like that. My favorite one, Will, is the will to win is useless without the will to prepare. The will to win is useless without the will to prepare to win. I will tell you that in football, especially in the NFL, I often say games are won on Wednesdays and Thursdays, right? Those are the heavy practice days for the for the every bit as they're won as much as Sundays, right? Sometimes I love to hear those announcers at the end of a close game. It comes down to you know the last couple minutes, and they're saying it's just a battle of wills now. Who, who wants it more, right? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it comes down to who prepared better for this moment in time. You know what I mean? So sometimes I, I just think that that preparation piece, and I will just add one other thing. Bill Belichick, right? Probably the greatest coach of all time. They don't do a lot of quotes or pictures or a lot of fanfare in their facility and locker room and everything, but they have a quote up there that says, every battle's won before it's fought because he believes, and I, I agree hundred percent, that there's no substitution for preparation in sports. And man, can that carry through to, to sales as well? Yeah. And in sales, the customer feels that too, right? If the salesperson has entered the conversation prepared, has done his or her homework, and it, it's often what makes or breaks rapport building up front. They know, has this person dedicated time and resources to learn about me, to learn about my company, is prepared to have that, you know, a high enough level discussion, that sort of thing. And it's where a lot of sales discussions get made or broken. They want to know, did you value me right enough to do a little preparation? They feel valued when you've done preparation, when you show up and, and you show up with a purpose. I like to say you're showing up on purpose. And so I think that that is absolutely true that they feel valued when, when you show up with preparation. And, and I just think the conversations that result from that are, are usually just so much better. Let's progress what we're talking about here to another aspect of sales and something that I know that you've seen a lot and helped a lot of people with. And it's that transition in sales from player to coach or individual contributor to sales leader, sales manager. It's always one of the most challenging transitions for salespeople and for the companies that are promoting them. It's something that people and companies get wrong a lot, even from the standpoint of who they promote into sales leadership roles. And, and you've had You've had actual experience yourself in the NFL as, as both a player and a coach, and now you help salespeople through it as they become sales leaders. So can we talk about why do you think it's such a tough transition for individual salespeople when they're promoted? And I'd love your perspectives about what the path forward should be. I think it's very difficult because it's a different set of skills. I did make that transition. I coached for about eight years in the NFL. And I think that one of the, th the toughest things is, as you say, you're an individual performer when you're a salesperson, as opposed to being maybe part of a bigger, I mean, you're part of a sales team, obviously, right? But you're looking through what I call the little lens or the little picture thinking. I'm thinking of my clients, my preparation that I have to do. And, but when you get promoted to say a sales manager or a sales coach, right? You are looking through a completely different lens. That big picture thinking, is I think so much different and takes different skills than the little picture thinking. 
Here's something that maybe you didn't realize, and a lot of people, I think people know about this, but do you know how many head coaches in the NFL actually played the game at a really high level? Not many. Very few. <laughs> Very few. I looked it up. And really, right now, and this is kind of a low point, because I think a couple of years ago, it was about nine or 10 out of the 32 coaches. Right now, I believe it's only six that actually played in the NFL, and only three really had a meaningful career, Todd Bowles, Mike Rabel, Ron Rivera, in the NFL. And I thought, why is that? Because the skills that you take to coach are different than to play. And when great players are looking at it only from their perspective, a great quarterback is only looking at it from standing over the center or in the shotgun and, and the view that he has there. Standing on the sideline and looking at what's going on is such a completely different way of looking at the game. And you have to look at offense and defense. And a quarterback's probably not a good example. I played linebacker, so I'm standing across from the quarterback, and I'm just kind of looking into his eyes. And my whole world was very myopic, right? It was just it was just kind of between the tackles, so to speak. And that's all I had to concentrate on was this little tunnel right here, right? I had to read my keys, the guard or the, or the back, or you know where they're going. And I, so I was looking this way to step back and now have to look at the whole picture is difficult. And you have leadership skills that come into play that maybe some salespeople aren't equipped with. But I think they can become great leaders if they really want to be that way and look at it in a team perspective. So I think the whole vision, your big picture and little picture is so much different. And the skills that are required to be, say, a sales manager or a salesperson are pretty different. Once you get to that manager or that coach, there's a lot more things that are on your desk that aren't necessarily sales related that you have to deal with. As you were talking about existing coaches, you know, you think like, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, not NFL players. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, they were both backup wide receivers in college, but they have that, that ability to inspire. And I think most importantly, and you alluded to this, that will to want to lead other people. And, and, and we've, we've had previous guests on this podcast that talk a lot about there's got to be a skill, just like in, as a salesperson, there's got to be the skill and the will. You've got to, as one of our previous guests said, you've got to realize that your team, your sales team is now your customer and view it from that lens. And another sports analogy that a colleague of ours, Mike Fisher, has used on this podcast, you know, he used a basketball analogy saying, once you're a sales leader, you've got to realize that you're the coach on, you're on the sideline. You can no longer take the shots on the court. And that's a really hard transition for people to let that go is really difficult. Well, I think that's a good point. And I love a lot of Mike Fisher's quotes. Because so, when you're in the sport and when you're a salesperson, you're doing, you're in the arena. All right. When you are a coach or a manager, you're kind of just outside the arena. You're not in the game. You're of the game, so to speak, but not in the game. So your role changes so much different in terms of the, the skills that you need. You become somebody who now maybe needs to motivate people. You need to teach them some skills. And a lot of times you have to be maybe a therapist to them. Sometimes we, wait, I'm a sales manager now. I, I signed up to be a therapist. In, in some regards, you are, right? Because you want to be a little bit of a counselor. You got to work through how they're thinking, not only their, you know, how they're conducting their business, but maybe some things in their, in their lives that are affecting their business and how they can work through those things. And so there's a lot to think about in terms of that sales manager role or that sales coach role. They're so much different. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into sort of some specifics around coaching and what sales coaching looks like, but you've already alluded to it in that a lot of it is 
you know, whether it's that sort of therapist role, but getting into sort of the mental and emotional aspects that your sales reps are dealing like that's coaching going through somebody somebody's you know reviewing spreadsheets and numbers and pipeline like that's an important aspect of what you have to do but it's not coaching and it's one of the ways a lot of new sales leaders fall down right is they they mistake one for the other i've been doing a lot of facilitating our sales coaching program and that that's exactly right because sometimes we think or most people we deal with their title is manager right i'm a sales manager but if they change to thinking themselves as a sales coach, it's so much different. Those two things are, as you just mentioned, so much different, right? What is sales? Going through spreadsheets, looking at calendars, looking at appointments, hitting numbers and things like that. But coaching is so much different because when you define coaching, it's kind of seeing the best in people or seeing a potential in people and then trying to coach them what they can be, not what they are right now, right? Trying to look forward into the future in that. I think coaching is so much different than managing. I think managing is much more transactional, whereas coaching can be so much more what I call transformative. So in managing, you're just kind of hoping that they'll do what you need them to do. But in coaching, you're seeing it in them, you know, seeing the potential, helping them to see that potential in themselves, because maybe they don't, and then coaching that out of them by building them up, lifting them up, by, by setting some goals and helping them reach those goals. And sometimes being that counselor to deal with some of the negative thinking that comes in and everybody I think that's been in sales has dealt with with some of that. Maybe that, you know, that confidence wanes here and there. So like we say, sometimes you got to do a little counseling as well. Yeah, I think that's a it's a great way to put it that, you know, maybe one of the biggest differences between managing and coaching is that managing is about current state and sort of the here and now and what's right in front of your nose. And coaching is really about the future state of somebody and helping them to become longer term what they could be and maybe what they don't even see in in themselves. And so you've you've just alluded to what I wanted to ask you next and it's around again we're following this sports thread today but again it's really applicable and it's it's what you just talked about around negative thinking. And I know that you've talked a lot about this and and a lot of the work that you do is about helping sales people to untie knots around negative thinking. It can have such an, an effect on a salesperson, just like it does for, again, for athletes at all levels. And yet many companies, just like sports teams, they'll, they'll gloss over that aspect of it in favor of the more tangible and short-term often measurables. So what, what are the, some of the ways that you help salespeople and help companies that are trying to develop high-performing salespeople to, to pivot their thinking and, and approaches? to training and coaching when it comes to, to helping people overcome that, that negative self-talk? I think negative thinking pulls you down way faster and harder than positive thinking builds you up. I really believe that. Negative thinking is way more powerful than positive thinking, right? A lot of people say, oh, you got to think positive or you speak things into existence, you know, positive affirmations and things like that. You can be Stuart Smalley <laughs> from Saturday Night Live. You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And that's fine. I like that stuff, right? But I believe that negative thinking pulls you down faster than positive thinking pulls you up. So I think that we don't have to be Norman Vincent Peale. We don't have to be Tony Robbins, right? And that, that positive person all the time. Norman Vincent Peale wrote the, the Power of Positive Thinking. But we don't want to be Eeyore either. I think we want to make sure that we're not Eeyore, right? Always having that mindset that, that things are the, the worst that they can be, right? Or that I'm not going to be able to get out of this. Negative things. So how do we do that? 
I'm not sure I have all the answers to do that, but I like to say, can we get to neutral? Can we get to neutral where you're not having negative feelings or negative thoughts pull you down? How do you do that? I think that there's a whole, I mean, volumes have been written on this about how you maybe are able to pull yourself out of some negative thinking. But for me, it's maybe setting a goal, a belief or something, maybe just a little bit outside. I think it happens incrementally, right? Just a little bit outside of what I think I can accomplish, right? Some kind of goal that causes me maybe just a little bit of stress. And now some people are saying, wait, isn't stress bad? Not all stress is bad. I think there's some healthy stress out there. You always want to be pushed a little bit beyond your comfort zone. A lot of people call it your comfort zone. And you do it deliberately. I've heard somebody call this deliberate discomforts, right? Where you deliberately say, hey, I'm going to step outside here and I'm not positive I can accomplish this, but I'm going to go for it, right? So so really it's just setting up some, some goals, some belief boundaries, a little bit bigger than what you thought your area of the possible was, right? We all have this area of the possible, the things that we think are that, that we're capable of achieving. But can we step outside that just a little bit And then when you do, I think that that builds confidence and it happens incrementally and it builds slowly. But I really believe we can face negative thinking by not just trying to be so positive, but just trying to eliminate that negative. We like to say it this way, believing in bigger belief boundaries or acting kind of as if, as if we're capable of more. I'll tell a little story. When I first showed up to the Denver Broncos, I was an undrafted free agent. In other words, I didn't get drafted in 1979, my rookie year. I was just signed as a college free agent, which will basically is this body, a training camp body. Yeah, you're on a pure tryout basis. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I show up, there's 150 guys. Back then you could have unlimited rosters, not 150, but 120 guys trying out for 45 positions on a team, right? So I didn't have great confidence. I actually kind of had a good attitude. Ah, this will be a great story to tell my kids and grandkids that I once tried out for the Denver Broncos, right? So I didn't have these illusions that I was actually going to make the team. The first scrimmage that we ever had in training camp, you know, a few days into training camp, I'm playing against the starters and I defeat a starting lineman and I tackle the ball carrier for a negative yard play. And I thought that was one of those things that just started to go, oh, Maybe my belief boundary needs to be this big, not this big. And, you know, my area of the possible can grow a little bit. And the same thing happened a couple of weeks later. We're playing a preseason game. I defeat what became a Hall of Fame offensive lineman and John Hanna. I tackled Sam Cunningham, a famous running back for the New England Patriots. But these kind of series of successes, right, that just helped my belief boundary to grow a little bit bigger, I think really made the difference for me. I'm in a, I'm in a situation now where I'm at an age where I have a lot of a lot of friends that are retiring. And I'm thinking, I'm not ready for that yet because I still want to do things that challenge me. I still want to have things once in a while that give me butterflies in my stomach, you know, make me a little, and that's what I'm talking about, kind of that healthy stress that I still am being challenged. And I really believe that the deliberate discomfort really helps us get out of that negative thinking and maybe achieve more. And one of the things I I liked about what you were describing is is that you can break it down into very small nuggets. It doesn't have to be some big daunting stretch, but it could be, it's almost like when you go to the gym, right? You can, if you're on the treadmill, maybe at at your next workout, you're setting the treadmill at a couple, two, three tenths of a mile an hour faster than what you're doing. You know, nothing crazy. You're not going from, I'm going to run 12 miles instead of three, 
but you're setting the bar just slightly higher and that builds incremental confidence if you can keep doing that a little bit, a little bit at a time. So I think that's, that's really good. Yeah, that's what happened to me when I was playing football because it wasn't wasn't like I showed up and said, "Okay, I'm going to make this team, right? I'm going to I'm going to become a professional athlete for the Denver Broncos and that." I just was like, "Can I survive the first cut?" As you mentioned, you can't bite the whole thing off, right? And so in sales, what does that mean? Well, okay, I want to make 20 more calls per week. Well, you're going to do that the first week. Well, let's try the first week. I'm going to make four new calls, you know, or more calls than I normally make, or I'm going to make five. And that's also where going back to the sales leader, the incremental and, and consistent coaching conversations to help people through those things that they might be trying to do differently day to day and week to week. Like that's got to be a big focus of those, those conversations versus like, let's talk about you being a million dollar performer this year, right? That's not the conversation. It's what can you do differently and better incrementally in the next one to two weeks between coaching conversations, something like that. Isn't that right? It really is. For me, it's it's the difference between setting a big picture goal and a little picture goal. You might have, we talk a lot about in our programs about goal clarity, right? Okay, goal clarity is so important. You have to have your goals. You have to have them written down. Hopefully they're kind of smart goals and that. But you might have goals for the quarter or the year or the next four years or something like that. All right. So my thought is, what does that mean for me today? What does that mean? What actions can I take right now that are going to help me accomplish that goal? And that's really good to keep your goals in mind, every, your big picture goals in mind every day. But what are the little picture items that you can execute? What are the actions that you can take? What are your actions that are good, you're going to be committed to? Because a big difference, right, between the motivations, just the intent to do something, your actions or your commitment are the way that you execute that. I tell this story sometimes. Every football team, has goals and they put them up on their in their team room and everything. But the first goal is to win the game, right? Every game you want to win the game. And then, you know, like an offense has, we want to score at least 24 points. We want to get at least 350 yards of offense, things like that, right? Well, if I'm an offensive lineman and we just broke the huddle in the middle of the game, what does that mean to me? I'm not thinking about winning. I'm not thinking about yardage. I'm not thinking, what I'm thinking about is, okay, how am I going to take the right steps to win play side leverage on this defensive tackle with my hand placement? That's the action that you take that will help you accomplish the long-term goals. And so I think for salespeople, that's where things really, really get done is the commitment and the discipline to put things into action that are going to help you achieve your goals. Because if, if that's not happening, then you're not going to achieve them. And like I said, motivation, the intent to do something, that's wonderful but it's the discipline and the commitment. That one step, one play at a time sort of mentality is really important. Let's, let's keep building on this, this mindset idea, but I wanna shift more from inwardly to outwardly. And this is another thing that I know you talk a lot about in things that you do. And it's about how salespeople can become more truly customer focused. And that requires, again, a, a discipline and mindset and always keeping that at the forefront. But So when you work with sales teams, how do you help them become more keenly aware of being more customer focused throughout the relationship? Like, And what are some of the ways that that actually shows up or, or should show up? I think, Will, I think it goes down to the, to the definition of selling. What is the definition of selling? Well, it's, it's, it's an exchange of maybe product for money, right? Something like that. But I like to say, are you, are you selling product or solving problems? Think about yourself as a salesperson. What are you doing as a salesperson? Are you just transactionally getting money in return for something that you provide for them? 
or are you solving a problem for them? When you view selling that way, when you view yourself as a value generator, as somebody who provides value and, and, and somebody who solves problems and somebody who's now kind of a, an advisor and a partner with your customer in that, when you change your whole mindset around the way that you look at selling and you say, oh, am I solving problems or selling product? Am I making my customer better off in the end? Daniel Pig was a, is a guy that's written a couple of sales books, and I don't know if anybody's read it, but he says, selling is not to get people to just part with their resources because I want their money. It's in the end, right. making them better off. They're making them better off in the end. So when I say that, okay, when you just look at the basic definition of sales, sales as solving problems, being an advisor, creating value, providing value, man, who wouldn't want to be in sales? Because you, you are providing a solution to a problem that somebody has and you are really helping them, right? You are really lifting them up and doing something for them, their company, their, their customers, their patients, you know? And so I, I think it comes down to really looking at what sales is. I, I love the congruence model in our training. And that, that, that view of selling is the one that, that really sticks out to me as just the basics. You, if you just look at that a little bit differently, I think you'll look at selling differently. Yeah, it's such an eye-opener for people. They can sniff somebody out that has their best intentions at heart and those who are just trying to to win, maybe even win at, at their own expense. Again, that makes or breaks a sales conversation and a relationship if they know that you're trying to help them achieve something for themselves, make their lives better. Or again, are you just trying to jam product down their throat? We have to give people credit, right? People are smart and people are pretty perceptive. They can see through you pretty quickly. I think that, you know, through your, your tone of voice and your body language and even your words, people are going to see that you're just trying to, to get a sale and you're not really there to help them. You're not there to solve a problem. You're not there to make them better off. You're there to make you better off. And so I think that's, that's insightful for you to say that. Yeah. I think that happens. I want to touch on on coaching more, and we and we talked about this earlier. Sort of the idea that a lot of times, individual salespeople, when they take on sales manager, sales leadership roles, they just they don't really understand what coaching is and is not. And and, and again, you talked about it really well earlier about that idea of, of of managing is more in the moment, and coaching is more about what's possible for somebody longer term. But in simple terms, sort of the million dollar question, right? Like, why don't sales leaders coach more? What do they? not seeing or understanding or, or what incorrect assumptions are they making about coaching? And how do you help make that shift? I think that, Will, if, if they're not coaching, they don't understand what coaching is, or maybe they're not given the right training. But I do think it just comes back to not understanding what coaching is. Again, going to back to transactional versus transformative. And that is when you look at coaching and just in a transaction, right? I'm trying to get you to do what I want you to do as a coach. If you think that's what you, a lot of managers thinks that way, I'm getting you to do what I want you to do. But when you're coaching, you are moving that player or you're moving that salesperson in the direction of their own self-interest. And what I mean by that is we've already, if you are really coaching, I think in a processed way, you're finding out what their why is, what's driving them, why are they in this business and asking them about their goals and their hopes and dreams and all these different things. But you're coming out of coaching sessions together with buy-in. And when you get somebody who you're coaching to buy in, they're going to be receptive to your coaching. 
if you're just trying to be transactional, get them to do what you want to do, here's your numbers, you have to hit them. Uh, hey, you didn't hit them last month, what's going on? You know, and just start hammering away. I just don't think that's going to create that trust relationship. And so that trust relationship has to be there in order for that coach, that true coaching to take place where they're going to be receptive to that coaching. We call it creating the receptive environment, you know, when we're talking about coaching our people. A quick story. <laughs> I coached on a team that had two really hard coaches. Will, I don't know if you've ever had a coach in your life that is really kind of that that hard one, right? That's the one the one that's just hammered away at you. I'm thinking of him right now. <laughs> so I had a couple of them too. So this is the coach that's always screaming and yelling, a lot of cursing. And so, you know, in the practice field, you always know where they are because they're... So I coached with a couple guys that were on the two guys. We were all on the same coaching staff. And each of them were really hard coaches, yelling, screaming, cursing, all that different stuff, right? But here's the thing, Will. The players loved one of them. They despised the other coach. And I was looking at it, I go, wait, they, wait, they love him, despise him, right? They're both hard coaches. What was the difference? The difference was somehow through the hard coaching, one of those coaches allowed them to know he's in it for them. I'm coaching you to make yeah. you better. Whereas the other coach, you could just kind of tell he was doing it for himself, maybe to impress the head coach. Maybe he was bad mouthing them to the press or doing things. You know, he was just kind of doing it transactionally and trying to get them to do what he wants them to do. Whereas the other coach, the one that they love, was doing it for them, right? To, to make, just make them a different, a better player. And even though they, took, you know, they allowed them to take that hard coaching and accept it. And I really believe that that's one of the things that a coach really has to do is create that environment to help that player, help that salesperson be receptive. Once you have trust level there, when you do have to coach them hard, when you do have to kind of correct them or something, now you've built a, a, a trust level where it's going to be more believable and they're going to be more accepting of it. And it's yet an, another parallel between being a, a really good salesperson for your customer and being a great sales leader for your people. And it's that idea of, are you getting it across clearly that what you're doing is about making that person better and helping them achieve better outcomes? And that's a salesperson has to be if they want to elevate into a leadership role later is they have to have that, that mindset that my job is about making my people better. Yeah. Customer focused as a salesperson, as a sales coach, player focused or salesperson, you know, focused, right? It's the yeah. same thing. It's about them, not about me. The other story I wanted you to touch on, I, just, I remember this, you wrote about this several years ago in a blog, but can you quickly tell the story about Wade Phillips and J.J. Watt? J.J. Watt was the first round draft pick of the Houston Texans when I was on the staff there in 2011. So we're in the draft room, we're getting ready to draft and we it comes down, we had the, I think it was the 11th pick in the draft that year. And so we were really not sure who we were going to take. And a couple of the guys we wanted had already come off the board and that. And now we're, we're on the clock. We, we have like five minutes to make this decision. And we're arguing between two players, Cameron Jordan, who's still playing for the New Orleans Saints right now. And it was Wade Phillips who kind of just in a, in gave a one minute, maybe 90 second kind of impassioned speech and said, here's why I like J.J. Watt, right? And he's just go st started talking about the potential that he had, his leadership ability, the great kid that he is. He loved Cam Jordan too, but he just said, I think J.J.'s got that special quality about him. And so he actually persuaded our general manager and our head coach, who I think were leaning the other way, let's draft J.J. Watt. And we did. 
So I was in the draft room. It was really fun to watch. And we drafted JJ. And then what happened? JJ became the NFL's defensive player of the year in the first three years of his first five seasons, three times in his first five years. And so Cam Jordan is a great player as well. But here's the thing. If you hear J.J. Watt talk about that, he said, you know, I didn't think I'd be drafted that high. I didn't know that Wade Phillips felt this way about me. He said, Wade saw something in me that I may not have even seen in myself, he said. He later said this in a speech that he gave about Wade Phillips. And he said, but that's the kind of man that Wade Phillips is. He, He coaches you to what you can be, not what you are. He coaches you to what you can be, not what you are. And sometimes I think as coaches, as managers, we have to kind of check ourselves, right? We want to look, can I look at my people in the most positive light? Can I look at their assets, not just their liabilities? Sometimes I think it's a little human nature to just look at the downsides, the negatives and not the positives of our people. You know, can I see potential in them? Because as you know, Will, right, as we're coaches or managers and we have people that we're coaching and they're not hitting their potential, there's only two remedies to that. One is get new people, and that becomes very expensive in that, right? Or coach these, coach the ones you got to, to what they can be. And so and that's a little less expensive, and it maybe is a little harder. I don't know. But I think it's more rewarding as the coach as, uh, as well. Certainly. In the long run, yeah, much more rewarding, more beneficial. And I'm glad you told that story because I, I know it was as great a player as J.J. Watt is. I'm sure that's something he carried in his career, right? That idea of somebody had that level of belief in me. And that must have been a driving factor. It really was. I like to say we all need a coach. Everybody needs a coach to maybe pat them on the back, but also to challenge them, right? To challenge them to be their very best. So every great player you see, the Tom Brady's of the world, the Peyton Manning's of the world, everybody, everybody needs a coach to take them through their moments of insecurity or, you know, bring them down off their pedestal a little bit, right? But I think everybody needs a coach to, to, to really help walk them through, especially in terms of, you know, coaching them to what they can be. And I think that oh, JJ really appreciated that about Wade Phillips, you know, and I think he became a better player than maybe he thought he could because he had somebody who believed in him like Jim, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. This has been been great. And the perspectives that you share sort of from the front lines and the, and the anecdotes from, from your experience as, a, as an athlete and coach, I think, again, parallel so well to what sales people and sales leaders that listen to this podcast are trying to, to learn from and get better at. So to connect with Jim Ryan, you can find him on LinkedIn. You'll also read... You can read several things that Jim has written on topics that we've touched on today on the blog on our website, integritysolutions.com. So Jim, thank you so much again for being with us today. Well, I really appreciate it. And you can just tell, I get excited talking about these things. I think it's important to talk about sales process and sales coaching. And you know, we're just out to, to try to make people better. A lot of the people we, ta- we, we coach, I always tell them this, look, you're already good at what you do. Can we bring you just to another level? I was talking about it in terms of preparation. You guys are probably already pretty good at winging it. But does preparation, you know, take you to just a little bit better level, right? So we're not trying to fix you. We're just trying to bring the best out of you. Absolutely. No, it's, it's tremendous advice. And uh, yeah, it's exactly why I wanted to have you as a guest. So thank you. And thanks especially to all of you that are listening today from wherever, again, and whenever you might be listening. If you're listening, please leave us a rating or a review. 
on the show. We always appreciate feedback and, and please tell friends, tell colleagues about the show. And you can also be sure to scroll back up and, and listen to some of the other recent episodes that you might've missed. We have more on the way soon and thank you everybody for listening and have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.